I don't know about you, but man, I'm telling you, I I need a vacation. I need a vacation. How many of you need a vacation? Raise your hand. Look at everybody. Everybody needs a vacation. And so, and I had a, I had a I had a pretty good idea that most of you need a vacation, so I have decided as a church we're going to take a trip. We're going to take our own vacation, and I have found the perfect spot. I mean, it's perfect. Take a look at the pictures of it. It is, yeah, it's beautiful. They have coves right off the ocean. About this time of year, it's 70 to 80 degrees temperature, average. Darcy, it's perfect. The, the sand on the beach is like, powdered white sugar. Oh, it's perfect. You can lick the sand. It's perfect. If you go into the, it's an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. If you go into uh, the island, they have mountains that go up to about 8,000 feet. I've told even this time of year, they have really good skiing going on. So you can go ski for the morning, drive an hour to the coast, and you can sunbathe the rest of the day. And I found a perfect location. It will fit a church service beautifully. I was thinking we could all wear shorts. I could wade up to about a foot and just, man, that echo right off of there. This will be the perfect place. It's, it's the, uh, what's that? You like it? It's a good question. I did some research. Very good question. For one person, it only costs $2,000 for a trip for 10 days. Not bad. So we have 800 people approximately in our church. I did the multiplication. I did it in my head. That's a million, $600,000, a little out of our price range, but we have an annual meeting tonight. <laughs> and if we get enough votes, I think we can override Pastor Ken who doesn't like the idea. So we can do it. I don't think it will pass. And so the next best thing to visit this wonderful island is I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Titus where this takes place, on this Isle of Crete. And instead of just a 10-day trip, we're going to spend eight weeks in the book of Titus. And it's going to be called Island Living. So if you want, wear Hawaiian shirts. It will make it feel like we're actually there. Actually, you're wondering why I wore this. See? See? Island Living. Island Living. We're going to begin today. By reading the first four verses, and the title today is, For Faith's Sake. Let's read. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That's a beautiful phrase, Christ Jesus our Savior. This book is written from the inland in Turkey, from Ephesus. It's sent to the people living on this beautiful island of Crete. And as I was thinking about it, when you, when you look at those pictures, why would people living on that island need instructions? They live in a wonderland. They got it made. Why do they need? Man, they can vacation all day. They could go deep sea fishing all day, sunbathe, ski. 
Who needs God when you live in paradise? We do. And they do. Because we've been sent on this earth for more than just leisure and entertainment. We have been, as we said last week, made to glorify God. Last week we said He is the reason we exist. He is the goal of the soul's hunt and longing. And when we find Him, He is everything we've ever, ever longed for. That's why we need, that's why we need Him. Even in paradise. And the reason why, because even in paradise, man is still broken, sinful, and lost. If you don't think that's true, look at Hollywood. I also chose Titus because it's, um, it's not that long, and it has a lot compacted in a short space, limited space. So we're going to take uh, our time going verse by verse through this. We took a long time through 1st, 2nd Samuel, Kings, and we kind of had to push a lot of verses together. This way we can almost just soak in it. Actually, Charles Spurgeon said, the best kind of devotion sometimes is when you have one or two verses, instead of, instead of just sprinkling Scripture on, you can take a bath in it. We want to take a bath in the nice warm waters next to Crete here in Titus. And so the title is Island Living. And it's going to be a great metaphor for us as we continue on. Let me show you. It's written by Paul. Paul was originally Saul until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Paul says at the very beginning he's a bondservant. That word bondservant means he is a loyal, bought slave of God, and he's an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. So in other words, Paul is saying, I'm owned by God and sent by Jesus. Paul uses both of these titles to add weight to this book. It's so you take, take it seriously. But think about that for a second. Paul says, I'm owned by God and sent by Jesus. Can you say that about yourself every morning you wake up? I'm owned by God and sent by Jesus. I don't think I do, honestly. You can ask it this way. Do you believe everywhere you go you're sent for a purpose? Or kind of are you your own man? You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. Like, as I've been going through this, and what I want to do, I want you to do, even as we go through this, is really meditate on this. And I, I, really, I really was stopping and thinking and saying, I think I do most things in the day for me. I often wonder, if Paul was like me, would he have written all these letters? Would he have written Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Thessalonians, Titus, finally? Would, would I have written those? Or would he have written them if he had my heart? Or you could ask this, if he was like you, would he have taken time to visit churches, face persecution? And use all the gifts he has to tell people about Jesus' greatness? Or would he stay isolated and go fishing in the ocean for ocean perch? Not once in this letter does Paul ask. I, I was looking for it. 
Not once does he ask, how's the surfing? How's the fishing down there, Titus? You gone sunbathing lately on the beach? I'm, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm not, but I have to be honest with you. That's all I pursue. I try to work so I can relax. If we lived on this island that has sandy beaches and skiing, would we even care about the gospel? Paul did. Paul wanted Tim, Titus to. And that is the next thing we're talking about. Titus was the one he sent this to. Titus was a Greek man who came to faith through Paul's preaching. I love what it says in verse 4 about Titus. Listen to what it says. To Titus, my true child, my true child in the faith. That is, a, that is an amazing statement. Have you ever noticed that the gospel has a way of bringing people close? It really does. Especially when you share your life with somebody, either disciple or mentor them or just share and pray with one one another, there's something about the gospel that makes those who aren't your blood relatives even closer than your blood relatives. I was thinking through this, even thanking God for the brothers and sisters that I have gained in this church. Could never imagine. I see one in the back, and I thank God for him. He's like my brother. Ask yourself this, are you close to people in the church? And if not, why not? Well, I, I'm really involved in the community and I'm really involved in my family. We do. I understand that, but there, uh, there's something about sharing the gospel with somebody else, praying with them, brings you close. And third thing I'd say is Paul is writing this to Titus for the purpose of establishing, we use the word edifying, that's a churchy word, but it means to build up the chosen of God or the elect, the church. Maturing the elect, specifically their faith. Listen to what it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So Paul wrote to Titus to give him words to help those on the island, those in the church that are his, to grow strong in their faith. And we're going to get to that iffy word elect in a second. Don't worry, we'll talk about it. Dangerous, I know. And he wants people to grow in faith. So I'm going to use this diagram also kind of like Kent City Baptist is like on an island. And to be honest, we have it pretty good in northern Kent County. Some of you are saying, that's ah, not a paradise like there, but in a way it is. Think about it. We have sports galore. We have high school, college, pro. Man, we can go anytime, watch it anytime we want. We have entertainment, even on our phones, anytime we want it. We can go shopping. We have restaurants. We have more breweries in Grand Rapids than any other city. We've got it here. And we have deer and wild turkey. We even have video game councils. When you have video game councils, who needs Christ? Do you need him? Or do uh, you and your bank account have life well under control without him? Like Paul, can you say, God owns me and Jesus sent me today? 
I need to say that. I mean, this is convicting to me. Am I owned by God and sent by Jesus? Are we part of the elect? And let's get into that. What does that even mean? Oh, no. Hold tight. Theology. What does the elect mean? Literally, you know what it means? I want you and you and you. I want you, you, you. I want you and you. And I want you, I want you and you way back there. Way back I want you means chosen. And so if you ask God, why did you choose him? Because I want you. That's really what the word means. We are chosen because God decided out of grace to choose us. Go back one book to the left, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look Nine. at verse... Verse 9 says, he's talking about the power of God in verse 8. And verse 9 says, who saved us. God's power saved us, rescued us, and he called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So he, he, called, he called us, and he chooses certain people, and he puts them on that island. And this island, the called out ones, is called the church. That's what the church means. Ecclesia means called out, called out from the world. So he looks on the whole world, chooses men and women, and decides they're mine. That's what it means. Why does he call us out? Scripture's very clear. Romans 8.29 says to, so we will be clowns. Wait, not that word. So we will be cool. No, no, no. no. Oh, it's conformed. That's the word. Conformed into the image of his son. That's why we've been called. God chooses people very literally who are fixer-uppers. God's not a house flipper. He doesn't like flipping houses. He likes flipping people. It's, I really think, this is, this is just my personal conjecture, I think up in heaven there's going to be a video room. And I think Gabriel uh, rules the video room, Angel Gabriel, because he's the communications expert, and Jesus will say, hey, I, I want Kent City Baptist, come in the room, we have it kind of set up like a theater, I'm going to show you some videos. And we always start with the pastor, so hey, put that Chris Weeks video in there. So we're going to be watching it, lights go down, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing this fool up there. Like, who's that weird lost guy? That's Chris Weeks. And then all of a sudden Jesus sitting with a bowl of popcorn. He, oh, I like to watch this part. It's my favorite part. And it's when I'm driving on Highway 44 and the Holy Spirit who's in the passenger seat says, pull the car over, man. You're ruining your life. Let me drive. All right. Jesus goes, don't you love that part? That's awesome. And then he starts driving. And all of a sudden you see that fool start changing and making choices based on God and Jesus goes oh and that incredible story and then after the credits go down which basically say Father Son Holy Spirit I don't think my I won't be on there too much Father Son Holy Spirit the lights go up and people look at me and they'll say Jesus you are pretty amazing <laughs> to do that to him we are meant to be flipped that's why we're chosen but not everyone on this island, not everyone on this island can be trusted. Be very careful. 
Titus is going to describe two hazards we are going to have to face. One is on the northern shore of the island. The waters are infested with man-eating sharks. It's dangerous. Paul calls the people who try to persuade you to swim in these waters as circumcision party, meaning legalists, people that think to be a good Christian, you need to be religious and do things. And man, you start swimming in these waters, and it's dangerous. Be very careful, because you know what Mama says? Here's what Mama says. When you go swimming with the sharks, don't come crying to me when one of your legs get bit off. Don't come crying to me. That's what my mom would say, at least. It's also dangerous to go swimming in the southern waters. The southern waters have this terrible riptide, kind of like a, you know, like a whirlpool that will suck you down. Paul calls the people that want you to go swim in there Cretans, people who follow the culture in a reckless way, thinking they can just fill themselves full of pleasures galore. Man, it's going to sink you, and it's going to kill you. Have you ever been to, like, a... P.J. Hoffmaster or Grand Haven when the red flags are up and say, don't go out because the rip current is really strong. I remember going out there one time, seeing this kid, and he's probably 10 years old, throwing a beach ball, and then he gets sucked out. Mom! (laughs) Mom! And the guy comes running and just floats him down and then walks him in. But that kid thought, oh, no big deal. The elect... The elect choose to stay on the island and not go swimming. In fact, they like to be right in the middle of God's will. So who are the elect? Who are the elect? Well, if I uh, could read some minds in here, some of you are like, I don't even like that concept. I, uh, I'm telepathic, and I've heard some of your thoughts. <laughs> some of you are saying this. I know it. If election is true, doesn't that mean God's unjust? I can hear it. You're probably saying, you know what? If God does all this choosing based on grace alone, it's his choice alone, then what I do doesn't matter. I've heard, I can hear you. Some of you are saying, you know what, I don't like this because you know what, if that's true, then I don't like that idea of the chosen because they're always frozen. You know, the chosen, frozen. You think, man, I'm saved, I don't need to do nothing, just sit here and just count it all glory. Some people are saying, how can you legitimately extend a gospel invitation, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved if God already knows who's going to believe? Is it legitimate? I want those of you who think it's unjust to just consider three verses. That's all I'm asking. I ask you to just chew on them, go home and consider them. And I recognize, I recognize this is hard for a lot of people. I really do. And I'm not one of those guys that think you can browbeat somebody in an argument. I just want you to consider what I think Scripture says. I want you to go to Book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 48. Acts chapter 13, 48, Paul is talking about some Gentiles, non-Jews, who get saved. And listen to what he says about them. Listen to the way the words are phrased, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, what did they hear? Salvation, according to verse 47. 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So belief comes after appointment. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians. That's about five books to the right. Thessalonians before Timothy, 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes in verse 13, We ought always to give thanks to God for you. Why? Brothers who are loved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So he chose you to have the Spirit come for you to believe. And then the last one I just find this fascinating because these aren't verses we actually read that often. Revelations 13. Revelation, last book in the Bible. It's the spooky book. Scary. If you open it, sometimes fire comes out and smoke. But Revelations 13, verse 8, and he's talking about those who believe in the Antichrist or follow the Antichrist, the guy who deceives the world. And he talks about those who are deceived. Listen to what it says about them in Revelations 13, verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So names are written before the earth is made in the book of life. Wow. It's mind-blowing to me. And if I can be honest, I'll be honest about me. This whole idea of election gives me incredible gives me rest, gives me peace, knowing my salvation is not dependent on me. Because I'm a failure. It's dependent on him. Because he who began a good work in you, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. I'm not going to attempt to explain God's sovereign dealings. And anyone who thinks they fully understand this and understand Trinitarian eternal counsels is treading on dangerous water. And I say this because we are limited human beings. In fact, if you were honest, you can't even explain half of the things you do and why you do them during the day. How can we try to explain why God does what he does? I'd like to ask you to consider three questions if you think I'm all wet, if you think I'm wrong, and if you think God's being unjust. Number one, was it unfair for Jesus to heal a blind man in John 9? Was it unfair for Jesus to give sight to somebody who couldn't see? Because the apostles said, why is this guy blind? Because he sinned, or his parents sinned, and Jesus said, no. Uh-uh. You know why he's blind? For my glory. If you think God's unjust, the quest, second question was, does God have the right to do with people he made in the first place? I like to ask the question, what did you have to do to be an American? Did you have a right to be born in this great place? Third question, or third thing I'd say if you think God's unjust, be careful trying to make excuses for God's word and what it says. So many times in life, God does just ask us to simply trust his revealed word and believe him. Even when life is confusing and doesn't make sense, we call that faith. Trusting what God has said is true. 
And so let's talk about faith, because that's what he's going to go into in Titus here. Titus 1, verse, the middle of verse 1. He's saying faith is important, like it's really, really precious. And so listen, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And then he's going to base faith on two things, two foundations of faith, or two, what I would say, two qualities of genuine faith. What are two qualities of genuine faith? He says, the knowledge of the truth, and it accords with godliness. What does that mean? First thing, faith is founded on the knowledge of the truth. Faith is never, it is never a blind leap into the dark. Wherever people have gotten that definition, it drives me nuts. That we just, you know, hold our breath. We don't know what's down there. I was thinking about it as I was driving here this morning. I was driving here about 6.30 in the morning. It was really foggy out. And I was driving now 17 miles. My lights were on. And I couldn't really see that far ahead of me. And I'm thinking, can I drive? Should, should I drive down this road? Will it just drop off into a, a chasm? No, I've driven on this road hundreds of times when I could see. Somebody's already driven a road before us and he told us what's there, even though it's fuzzy and dark and we see through a glass darkly. Can we trust Jesus and his word? That's what faith is. Faith is first and foremost predicated on my loving the Lord with all of my mind. Knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. It's not just being... Where do we get this idea that Christianity is for fools, for people who don't think? It's mindless. It's just the opposite. God wants us to love him with all of our mind. We must learn to think and think rightly. But you notice God doesn't want us just to simply be educated, get degrees, stacked upon degrees. So the person with the doctorate is the greatest Christian. He wants us to be knowledgeable about something. The truth. It's funny, I was, uh, I wrote this illustration before last night. It's kind of like saying the Ohio State University, if you're a football fan, but not after last night. The idea of using the word the, the article the, means it's the only one. So when you say the truth, it means this is the only truth. What is the truth? Paul is very specific in the book of Ephesians. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Ephesians 1, verse 13. If you have trouble getting there, just remember after Corinthians, you have General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to electric right now. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13. He's so specific. I love how specific the Bible is. Verse 13 says, in him, it's another, it's a prepositional phrase for being saved, being a real Christian. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. There it is, the word of truth, the truth. When you heard the word of truth, what is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. That's the truth that he's talking about. What is the gospel? Good news, it's what we talked about. It's predicated on two things, a historical fact. It's really to believe that there was a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth who died, who was buried, 
who rose again and was seen. That's the historical fact of the gospel. But then it, it has to be joined with what I would call personal application. Jesus died and rose again for me. He did it for me. There's this word confess. If you believe, if you confess, confess we think means, it means to agree in the Greek. But not just mentally. It's an emotional agreement. That when I think about my sin, yeah, I sinned and Jesus died for my sin, it should take us to the emotional point. Do you know God hates my sin? Like he hates it. He, he's abhorred by it. So this sin that he died for was because of me. I ask people in marriage counseling, when they first come in, one of the first questions I ask is, do you believe Jesus died for you? Well, yeah. Yeah, of course I believe Jesus. Yeah. Then why do you treat your wife like that? Do you believe Jesus actually forgave all your sins? Yeah, absolutely. Then why can't you forgive a spouse who hurt you? Well, Jesus is different than me. The next thing about the gospel, it accords with godliness. means when I really understand the historical and it's mine, it changes me. I become different. When I actually accept the truth, it will daily saturate everything I do. I was given mercy. I was given mercy. I need to give mercy. True faith doesn't just think, it acts. That's what accords with godliness means. Listen to how Romans 1.5 puts it. I love Romans 1.5. Listen to this verse. You can turn there later, but it says, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Often we think we give the gospel to bring people to faith. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, really, it's the obedience of faith, meaning faith really needs to change you. For the sake of his name among the nations. Because really it's obedience that brings him glory. Our mission statement at Kent City Baptist Church is what kind of people do we want to be? We want to be the type of disciples that are daring enough to believe God. That's the first part. We know the truth. We really believe it. And we believe it so much that we are obedient enough to share what he's given us. You can summarize genuine faith like this. You know you've been called or you are part of the elect when the truth of Christ not only informs and ignites your mind, it wakes you up, but it converts your soul. Martin Luther was right when he said salvation is by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. If all you do is argue doctrine and you fail to love your neighbor like we can argue about a, we can argue about election all day but if you're arguing with me about election but you don't really notice the needs of people around you who cares you're probably swimming with sharks you're probably one of those legalists and if you say you believe the gospel but you're just as filthy as you've always been in mind heart and practice you're probably caught in that Whirlpool in the southern waters. Question would be then, why is faith so important? Why is this so important? Well, if we go back to Titus, he's very clear on it. 
It's very simple. He says it in verse 2. In hope, in hope, in hope of eternal life. Why is faith so important? Why does he say he is sent for the sake of the faith? The answer is clear, hope. Living on this island, it's, sometimes it's hard. It's lonely. It's very lonely. Jesus, Jesus even says in John 15, 18 and 19, listen to this. You can turn to it later, John 18, uh, 15, 18 and 19. Sometimes when Jesus says something, we don't really take it to heart or we think he's kind of I don't know why he said that, maybe. I don't know if he meant it, but listen to what he says. If the world hates you, the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you are of the world, the world would love you, call you its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you, he uses the word chose, but I chose you out of the world, The world hates you. So when life gets tough, and these people who are swimming in the southern shores laugh and say, you don't know what you're missing, the water in here is great, come on in. And as they're swirling around thinking it's great, we tend to have our own little island pity party. Man, they're having so much fun, I don't get to do that. David had a pity party in Psalm 73. And if you really feel alone or feel like God is holding back joy from you or I'm trying to live this Christian life and it's hard, meditate on Psalm 73 every day this week. Listen to what David says. He said, man, when I tried to be godly, I was was envious of the wicked. Seems like I've wasted my life staying pure. I'm paraphrasing. Man, it's depressing sometimes. Walking with God, keeping your heart clean, doesn't seem to make sense. And then he writes the word, until. Until. Until I met with God in his sanctuary. Then I saw that he was continually with me, and he's continually with me. He daily holds me with his right hand. He guides me with his counsel. And afterwards, he's going to receive me in glory. And David David says, you are my portion. You are my cup. Are you feeling like David, sad and alone, wondering what is the payoff of faith? Paul answers, verse 1, hope. Hope. Hope defined means an internal expectation. I can't wait. I know I'm going to get it. It's coming because there's an outward reality. Something's already been done so I can trust what's feeling in me inside. It's not the little boy who wrings his hand and says, I'm just waiting here for something that I, I know is not going to happen. It's the best illustration I can think of hope. It's when I was a little boy, and I might have used this with you before, but just bear with me if you know the story. When I was a little boy, my dad was a traveling salesman. He'd go out of town sometimes 10 days straight. One time he's going to go pretty long, and he said, Chris, don't worry. When I come home, I'm going to... I'm going to go to the Cleveland Browns football game with you. And I know some of you don't think that's a big deal. But for me, when Brian Sipe was quarterback, Greg Pruitt running back, and I got to go see him, he said, I'm going to take you when I get home. And he said, just so you know what I'm saying is true here, hold on to these. And he gave me two Browns tickets. My dad's good. I trust his heart. But he gave me proof 
that his promise is going to come true. That's hope. That is hope. Do you trust the heart of God? Do you trust the ticket he gave you? What is the ticket? What is the ticket? What else do you need? Honestly. What else do you need to trust that, as it says in here, he does not lie? The stronger my faith becomes, the more I believe in what he has done, the more certain I am of my hope. And the more certain I am of my hope, the more of my joy is expressed and found in my daily life. And so when people hate me, I don't care. You could say it like this, faith and hope are directly proportionate. When my faith grows, so does my hope. But I'd also say hope and joy are directly proportionate. When my hope grows, so does my joy. So when my faith grows, my joy does. That's why John in 1 John says, I write this so you can have fellowship with me and the Father and so your joy may be complete. It's 1 John 1. He wrote this to build our faith. And that's why Paul preaches. That's why he preaches. That's why we come here to hear the word so weekly you can get encouraged on the, with people on the island so you can go back out and face the people who are trying to get you to swim with the sharks or go swimming in the current. One last thing we need to hear. If we have been chosen, like if you believe this whole idea of being chosen, you know what that means? There's no such thing called chance. It's imperative we see this message in the same light. Paul says in verse 3, at the proper time, manifested in his word through preaching. So what he means is this message of hope came at the right time through his preaching. It's not by chance. It's not just some message in a bottle that floated up. Man, we're lucky. I lucky I stumbled across this book. No, it's been commanded by God. It's for you. And it's for you now. It's for you today. That's why often in the scripture it says, if today, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Why? Because if you can hear his voice today, he's waking you up. It's your time. He's sovereign. One writer said, if you've been chosen to read and understand this book, how blessed you are for being able to receive the brightest light ever given to man. You know, angels long to look on what we've just been talking about. They don't get it. We do. It's amazing. But in the same breath, this writer goes on to say, but how dangerous it is not to believe these words. It is far more sinful than ever in any age before us for those who believe not in times with this revelation can plead before God and say they've been given no warning while we have. To put it in the context of living on an island, you know what mama says when you choose to go swimming in the riptide? Don't come crying to me when you find yourself drowning. 
My mom would say that. But a lot of people drown all the time because they choose to say this is a myth. Why do you think there's such um, sickness going on in the Hollywood culture? I mean, it's really sick. You watch the news. Why do you think it's sick? Because a lot of what they write laughs at everything in this book. And you know what God says in Galatians? You sow what you reap. Well, you reap what you sow. That's what it says. You don't sow what you, you can't do. Well, maybe if it's elected, you sow what you. I, I don't know. And if um, you do find yourself swimming a lot in the riptide, are you really on the island in the first place? It's really simple. Some the question is, why do we, if we believe that God does choose people, why does? He tell us to preach because that's how the chosen are revealed. <laughs> how they respond to it. Actually, I was talking with somebody before that, and we were, we were talking about the theology of, you know, if God does it, then, my, then I'm a robot. No, no, it's kind of like an airplane. God has the plane needs two wings to fly. So does man. We need to know that God does sovereignly choose, but we still have to choose and respond and accept for our life to fly. So if you hear this, and today you're hearing his voice and you're saying, all right, I get it, I get it. But I'm not sure I made that mine. I'm not sure if that cross really applies to me. Or I, I swim an awful lot in dangerous water. What I would say to you is now's the time to respond to the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But if you hear his voice and you don't respond, wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, you're very clear to us. I think your scripture is um, its mysterious. It's deep, but it reflects the mind of an infinite God. And we as human beings, God, sometimes we don't understand. Help us in our misunderstanding. Help us in our lack of understanding. But more important, help us, God, to respond and make it personal. Help us to understand words are given so that we will have hope. We will own it. It will be ours. I pray for anybody in here, God, that really is feeling alone on an island. I pray you'd visit them. But I also pray that they would extend their faith to increase their hope to maximize their joy. Father, you're so good. And we love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Come on back tonight to hear Trevor and Christina. And uh, be part of the voting process. We care about you.